the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We speak today about humility. So if you want to leave now, you're welcome. <laughs> Down while you can. Humility being a virtue of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore a virtue that we find in all of the saints, all of the saints, who allowed Christ to give them mercy all of their days, and to be transformed into his likeness. The virtue of humility is something for every Christian soul to aspire to become, because it is of the nature of the Lord our God. Growing in his likeness is part, or I should say, growing in humility is part of our growing in his likeness. You know, humility is such an interesting virtue, because without the grace of God, we cannot grow in humility. But there's a reverse on this particular aspect of the nature of God. We find in Holy Scripture very clear that it is the very virtue of humility within us that draws God to us, and he gives even a greater grace. So we need grace to become humility, but humility attracts the Lord our God to our soul and grants us greater grace in our journey. James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 149, a beautiful, beautiful, and in the words of this psalmist describing what God does to the humble, or for the humble. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. I love that description. What an incredible reality. That when God sees someone walking in humility before him or before fellow man, he will come and adorn that soul. He will come and dress that soul and beautify that soul with his salvation. Both in our epistle reading today from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and also in our gospel reading from the gospel of St. Luke chapter 18 with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we have some wonderful parallel truths about this great virtue of humility. We begin with the blessed apostle St. Paul speaking regarding of himself and what you heard chanted in the epistle reading. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was in me. This apostle, always remember what the Lord used him to do in this world. This apostle Christ used to heal the sick. This apostle who God used to raise the dead back to life. This apostle who went to the world of the Gentiles all over to preach the gospel and who was persecuted for the sake of all of it, for the sake of his Lord Jesus Christ. This is the same one saying, I'm the least my brethren apostles. I am the least of them because I know, because I'm fully aware of all that I have done in my life, what I was, all the great suffering that I caused to others as I persecuted Christ by persecuting his people, his church. And he moves
moves on after that statement to give absolutely all glory where it belongs, to God alone. When he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I've done what I've done. St. Paul echoes the psalmist from Psalm 115, and I always love this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us be the glory, but unto your name. This is what Paul's proclaiming. There's something else we need to see about St. Paul, a disposition within him, a discipline of mind and soul that we see in this blessed apostle that we would do well to take into ourselves because it is, it is, it's a discipline that will help us plow the field of the soul to grow in the virtue of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful tension that's kept within St. Paul himself, a perfect tension, I would say. You see, St. Paul knew absolutely that he had been forgiven of all the utterly horrendous things that he had done before encountering the resurrected Christ. He was someone who, there is no doubt, he knew the divine mercy of God in his life. But at the same time, he kept in his life a remembrance of where he came from, a remembrance of what he was, what he did before that blessed encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the healthy tension that we keep before us always our lowly estate, our need for God, our former self, so that we see right before our eyes clearly all the time all that Christ has done out of his love and out of his mercy for us that we could never begin to earn. You see, that tension, that discipline, it keeps us in the very healthy posture before our God, a posture that welcomes growth in the virtue of humility within the soul because our absolute need for him is kept within that tension. It's always before us. And absolutely anything good that he may ever do through these weak and frail and broken vessels, we give glory to him automatically because we know that it's all of him who's doing anything that we are so blessed and beloved of God to even be used for something for the sake of another. This is how Paul lived, and we need to as well. Again, that disposition within St. Paul also echoes the psalmist in another place in Psalm 115, where the psalmist voices this. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps, he has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. St. John Chrysostom speaking to this very truth, here are his words. He teaches, Paul says this because he was a humble man and also because it is what he really thought about himself. He was forgiven for having persecuted the church but it was that shame of his past that he never forgot. It taught him the greatness of God's grace and mercy toward him. You see, St. Paul had in him the very experience of God that is something like we spoke about last week when I quoted to you another teaching from St. John Chrysostom who said this, that the power of God is most visible when it performs mighty works by using lowly. What's the humility of St. Paul? He knew that he was lowly 
without God. But with God, we rise up out of that lowliness, never without a need for God. But we rise up to become the fulfillment of our creation only by God and always only by God. You see, when he kept his frailty, when he kept his lowliness right in front of him, it allowed him all the times that he would do these wondrous works that Christ would through him to become a living testimony of the goodness, power, love, mercy, and grace of a God who loved him and loved others through him. So that's one aspect of humility. Let's branch off now to another from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 18. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We hear it every year, and we need to hear it probably every day. We know the Pharisee, how Jesus paints the Pharisee. Two men come to the temple to pray to God. The Pharisee goes first. It's like he gets on his little box so that he can be seen by everyone. And he says, I thank God that I'm not like other men, especially like this tax collector here who's come before God. And he begins to talk about all the good things that he's done in his life and in all of his words. He demonstrates very clearly that he has a complete absence for the need of God at all. In fact, his prayer condemns him. His very prayer condemns him. But it's not so with the tax collector who says very opposite. And his disposition is very opposite to the Pharisee. But remember this, tax collector was hated and despised by the Hebrew people because tax collectors were Hebrew people. And they worked for Rome collecting overburdened taxes already. And then these Hebrew tax collectors would overtax them beyond that. What you basically have is tax collectors or Hebrews that steal from Hebrews and work for the enemy. And this tax collector comes before God. And how does this man approach God? With absolute humility and utter need in desperation and a healthy Listen to Jesus' words. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's look at a few things. First, this tax collector was entirely authentic. He was real. He was transparent before God. He hid nothing and was absolutely desperate to be relieved of all that he wasn't hiding. That was within his soul. He needed God. And he knew he was a man sunken deep into the pit. And in his absolute guilt, all he could do was throw his very being before God, hoping for mercy. That's the Christian journey. Every day of our lives, that's the Christian journey. That we live in such absolute need. We have no excuse. We have nothing to say. We know who we are and who we aren't and who we need to become. And so with authenticity, we lay down as we are before a God who wants to give mercy and lift us up. And that's what the tax collector did. All he could do is ask for mercy, and here's what our Lord says about him. That man went home justified rather than the other. 
you that hear that word justified, I hope to paint a little word picture of that word for you that you'll remember all the days of your life because this is what Jesus does for those to whom he gives mercy. The word justified, it means this. He says, if God were saying to us, you came to me lowly, in the pit, filthy. You cried out for mercy from me, and I turned all the scales around, and I pronounced you clean, go in peace. That is an amazing thought if you really look at yourself. If you'll allow yourself to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit to see where you need mercy. To understand that when we come not deserving anything, we're given everything. That's justified. You came, the Lord would say to us, deserving the wages of your fallenness, which is death, separation from me. And I erase all of that debt, and I change the whole table, and I give you what you could never deserve. Mercy, restoration, recreation, a new life. I restore your birthright to you that you lost in the fall. This is the work that Christ does for the penitent that comes in humility and authenticity. And I want you to see in that word justified. Let's go back to St. Paul for a minute and see how our Lord Jesus Christ justified Paul. St. <clears throat> Paul, the one who had Christians imprisoned and martyred, killed, murdered for their faith. Christ reveals himself to St. Paul and he sees clearly now how wrong He's undone, and he repents. And how does Christ justify St. Paul? He erases the debt, and he makes him a vessel through which Christ would bring thousands upon thousands of souls into his kingdom, so far more than St. Paul ever harmed in his earlier days. He erased the debt, and he made him something he could never be before for the sake of Christ, and Christ will be glorified in him. My friends, that's humility. That's the way we present ourselves to God, and it is the love of God that responds to humility with mercy and increased grace and the work of his salvation into our lives. We need a path to this humility. We need a path, and the church gives us one. One of the central prayers to the Christian life and our Orthodox faith, most of us know this, is the Jesus prayer. And the Jesus prayer comes from this very parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector beat his breast saying, God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Jesus prayer says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. But in praying the Jesus prayer, we are being invited into an active experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, just like St. Paul had, an active experience with him. <coughs> Excuse me. That reveals to us when we experience the Lord all the reasons for our need for God and his mercy. And it grants us the humility and desperation to come before him, which lends itself to the reception of the experience of the fullness of the mercy of God and grace to move forward quite differently. So I want to turn to St. Paisio's teaching on how to pray the Jesus prayer. I want to give you some steps with this prayer. 
These are the ones that he gave, and they are beautiful. There, he says there are three things that need to accompany the Jesus prayer when we pray it. By the way, if we do all three things, all these things, it will take you a sum total of 15 minutes a day to pray the Jesus prayer, experiencing Christ. Here's what he says. The first five minutes. Pray the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Pray it for five minutes in your heart. Be praying, Lord, search me and know me. Illumine in me where I've gone away from my most true self and where I have abandoned you. Show me clearly the illness and brokenness in my soul that keeps killing me day after day after day. In other words, the first five minutes are the Holy Spirit's, if we will let him, examination of soul. As we pray the Jesus prayer, making Christ, where Christ comes in, present as we pray, as he examines. The next five minutes, continue praying the Jesus prayer. But pray the Jesus prayer now in agreement from what the Lord has shown you. In those first five minutes, he showed us where we need mercy. In the second five minutes, we are judging ourselves with right judgment because it's the discernment and loving judgment of God. And we say, Lord, I see it now. You're right about me. And you're right about the fact this is destroying me. And this is destroying others around me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The final five minutes of your prayer, the Jesus prayer. He says, take five minutes to pray the Jesus prayer with your mortality being right in front of you. Which, by the way, is the reality we should live in. We play with time as though we have days and years and months for God to do his holy work in us to save us and through us to others. We play with time, and it's precious. And St. Paisios is saying, pray the Jesus prayer with the reality that you may not draw another breath when you conclude the prayer. You may not have an evening. You may not have another day. So let yourself experience the profound mercy of God in the now and go away rejoicing while you have breath so that you'll be granted paradise and joy forevermore. Are you hearing this heart? Fifteen minutes a day. Pray the Jesus prayer. Five minutes in each of those ways. And he tells us that the Jesus prayer in our daily lives is fueled by what you're doing here. By our participation in the sacraments, particularly the sacrament of Eucharist and the obedient taking to yourselves the sacrament of holy confession. It fuels the Jesus prayer and the experience of Christ's healing and divine mercy. And finally, St. Paisio says this, and I close with his very words, that if we pray the Jesus prayer like this, Christ will come to our aid through all of this and write his humility upon the soul, a humility that attracts the divine, uncreated grace of God. Let us all become pursuers of the humility before God and also before man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.